Amen. Thanks, Thomas. I, I think of a verse, 1 Corinthians 1.18, that tells us, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Man, our power does not cut it, but His is everything. And uh, this morning, a single verse, a sermon, John three sixteen, been said, man, that's uh, starting out preaching. You, you ought to be able to get something out of John three sixteen. Martin Luther had said, it's the gospel in miniature. Just about every doctrine is tucked in the one little verse. So let's uh, do something a little different this morning. I want us to, at the same time, just read the verse together, John 3.16. Let, let's stand in his honor. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the extent of your love that you pursued us, Lord. I just pray that you would speak, Father, um, hide me behind the cross, that your power and your words would come not because of me, but in spite of me, that your spirit might be free to, to speak to us, Lord. We need you, so we just confess, Lord. We're hungry, we're thirsty. May the water of life quench our thirst. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, in the 1970s and 80s, there was a guy by the name of Roland Stewart, who was a type of evangelist. Uh, his specialty was sporting events. So for all you sports nuts, sports fans out there, in the 70s or 80s, you might be watching the game in person, or you might see on TV... Roland Stewart was the guy that would wear a wig, a multicolored wig, and he would hold a sign that had John 3.16 on it. So if you were uh, at a football game, he would be in the end zone right where the camera was, and so, you know, a guy comes in to score a touchdown, you see John 3.16. If you're at a baseball game, he's right behind home plate where a lot of the action's coming, and you see John 3.16. And there was one occasion at the Masters, uh, Jack Nicholas was about to tee off, and there's Roland Stewart with John 3.16, and some other people got a little teed off <laughs> at that occurrence. But he made it his effort at these sporting events where there were so many people gathered to watch sports to send a different message, the message of John 3.16, his hope, hey, they'll, they'll read this verse They'll seek out, what's the deal with this sign? What is John 3.16? What does it mean? And so as we jump into this verse, first I, I want to talk about the origin of it. Um, hey, it did not come from us. John 3.16 was not created because some people thought, well, I'm just going to improve the condition of mankind. I'm going to make sure that people have a better life. No, the truth of the matter is, came from God. The first two words, for God. The mercy, the love, the salvation of God 
It's from Him. It's from God. It is not a work of people. It is the work of God. He sought us out. You remember uh, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they took a bite out of that fruit, and next thing you know, they realize that they realize that they're in trouble. And so they begin to hide and they begin to run. They didn't run to God to ask what's going on. They ran away from God. And what happened, if you remember, there's God in pursuit of them. And he starts talking to them. Hey, guys, Adam, where are you? Now, do you think God really didn't know where he was? Of course God knew where he was. He's God. He wanted to make sure Adam knew where he was. He, he pursued Adam. He, he pursued them. Even though they decided to separate themselves from God, he was there. Malcolm Muggridge came up with the, uh, a phrase that you may have heard called the hound of heaven. That, that's our God. He's a hound of heaven. He loves us so much, he does not want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so he pursues people. He, he chases us down in his great love. Occasionally, some will have a newsflash, and they will say, I'm still searching for God. Well, hey, he never was lost. We are the ones who need help. We are the ones that need him. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, the very first verse, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead is dead. There's no such thing as part dead or barely dead or mostly dead. There's dead. There's no self-help groups on how to be less dead. Uh, there's no way that we have any strength when we are dead. There's no source of life. It did not come from us. It's from God for God. Second, I want you to see the motivation of the plan. For God so loved the world. You know, God has every right, being perfectly holy and without sin, to blast us because we're broken. We disobey, we rebel. But He chose not to react to us in that way. He chose to love us. For God so loved the world. That's how He pursues us. Uh, in 1 John 4, 8, uh, it tells us that God is love. It is a big part of who our God is. He loves us. I love the story of the lady who went to a psychiatrist and she was struggling because she had three kids and all she could do to, to, to chase them and to help them and to love them. And so the psychiatrist asked, well, which kid do you love the most? And she said, well, I love them all the same. And he said, well, that is impossible to love three people the same. She said, well, she began to cry. And then she said, well, I guess you're right. She said, when this one's in pain, I love him the most. And when this one's in trouble, I love her the most. And when this one's sick, that's the one I love the most. And see, that is our God. He knows each of us personally. He knows your heart. He knows exactly where you are. And He loves you. In the midst of a crowd, He knows that you are there. For God so loved you. Notice the destination of the plan. The whole world, for God so loved the world. 
No one is left out of his love. Just like that mom, God's love is for everybody. Everyone who's alive, God pursues. God cares about. God loves for God so loved the world. Now, remember these words were originally spoken to Nicodemus. We talked about this last week. He was the great teacher of Israel. He was the guy that everybody invited to come to the synagogue, to church, and to speak because he was the one who had it all together. (laughs) And yet, in his understanding, Nicodemus believed that when the Messiah would come, when he would finally rule, that the Jews would be elevated and they would join him in an esteemed place. And everyone else, all the Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish people, they would be judged. They would face judgment. But Nicodemus had it wrong. The the Jewish teachers of that day, they had it wrong. God does not just love one group of people. God loves all people. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or a child. None of these divisions that separate us, God doesn't see that. His love is for everyone. In Mark 16, 15, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. Why do we need the gospel? You know, we went through that stage of are you COVID positive? As a matter of fact, I I do need to say something. Uh, In the service, I got a text from the Fleener family. They've all got COVID and they're scared to death because there's one person in the family that doesn't have COVID and the last time he had COVID, he had a real rough time with it. So uh, Reese just asked, take a moment, just pray for them. Uh, I'm going to do that real quick. God, uh, just take care of our, our family, Lord. Father, uh, just minister to them, Lord. Help them through this COVID. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. There's some people that are COVID positive. Well, guess what? We're all sin positive. We have this issue. The things we want to do, we don't do. The things we don't want to do, we do. We find ourselves, we know that we should be good, but if we're honest, we know we're not. We need a Savior. And what's really good is to know that God loves everyone. And that includes you. That includes me. There is no one who is so far away from God that He can't find you. That He can't love you. Now, a demonstration of His love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why did He give His Son? Because real love is not passive. Love is much more than saying, I love you, 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 I love you. We can go 16 more times, I love you. And, And that's great and that sounds good, but at some point it has to be more than just words. Real love is active. It goes into motion. And that's what God did. He went into motion and He presented His love through sending His Son, Jesus Christ. In a marriage, uh, I I remember years ago uh, when I was in in seminary and I was an intern at this church and the preacher preached a sermon on marriage and he said, in many marriages, the couple are like two ticks on a dog trying to suck him dry. Never forgotten that. And the truth of the matter is, 
in a strong marriage, we learn to serve one another. We learn sometimes to just shut up when we want to shout out. Uh, it says in Proverbs 17, verse 9, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Sometimes love says, I want to do this, but because I love her, I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to serve. That's what God did for us. He did what we needed him to do. For God so loved the world, he sent who? His only begotten son, which means his unique son, his one and only son. That's who he sent. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, there was an interview with one of the astronauts that actually landed and walked on the moon. And they asked him, they said, when you prepared to step out of your spacecraft and walk on the moon, do you remember what your first thought was? And he said, well, this is crazy. He said, but when I was on the lunar surface and I was looking at the earth, I'm, I'm in my spacecraft, and this thought kept coming to my mind. This spacecraft was built by the lowest bidder. I am so grateful that when God saw the depth of our need, it wasn't the lowest bidder that got the call. It was the highest price, the costliest price. His own son, his one and only son. Now, the invitation. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever, whose salvation offered to. I, I love uh, the Samaritan woman. She says when Jesus uh, talks to her or she hears from Jesus, whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. Jesus quenches the thirst. Jesus fills the heart. In Revelation 21, there's this invitation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Who can take that water? Who can receive it? The invitation is open to everyone, but that one has to receive it. Think about this. Even though the gospel is so rich, so deep, we will never fully be able to grasp the love of God. And yet, it is so simple that a small child can receive Christ simply by believing, simply by trusting upon Him. In order to go to a university or oftentimes in order to join another organization, you have to take tests or there are certain requirements before you can become a member or become a, a student, a part of the university. Those requirements aren't there. The only requirement here is to trust God, to place your life in His Think about it. Um, when we get to heaven, we're going to be amazed, guys. We're going to see some people up there and say, I can't believe they let him in. And it may be that guy looks at you and says, I was thinking the same thing. We don't always understand. There will be some people will think 
that are up there that shouldn't be there, and then there'll be other people that um, we don't see there that we just knew were there, and then, praise God, we may say, I'm here. <laughs> God's grace reached out and paid my price. Now, let's look at the qualification of the invitation, that whoever believes in Him. It says in John six twenty nine, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. Truly, the work that we have to do is believe. It is to place the confidence of who He is as our foundation. To trust Him. A translator was trying to translate John 3.16 into the language of this people. And they had great difficulty. And finally, uh, one of the leaders said, oh, I think I understand. And so the translator followed him into his hut, and he laid down on his cot. And he said, is it like this? And so they came up with a translation that sounded something like this to us. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever puts his full weight on him will never perish, but have eternal life. That's what it means, guys. Place your full weight upon that truth that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. A critic approached a believer and said, Jesus is your crutch. I love this. The believer responded, I don't just lean on him. He's my stretcher. He's got to carry me through. All I can do is let him carry me, let him hold me. Some of you have probably heard the story of the great tightrope walker, the great Blondin, and he had... He would get between buildings or uh, one time walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And uh, sometimes he would put a blindfold on. Sometimes he'd ride a bicycle across it. Sometimes he would, uh, well, one particular time he filled a wheelbarrow full of bricks. And he walked on the tightrope and he goes to the other end and, and he says, um, isn't that wonderful? He says, did, could you believe that I was able to walk pushing this wheelbarrow of bricks on the side rope? And they said, yes, we believe. He said, okay, who's ready to get on the wheelbarrow this time? Get in the wheelbarrow this time. There were no takers. Nobody wanted to be in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> you, you see, it is not enough to talk about Jesus as if he is this life-changing force. We have to believe on him. We have to place our confidence in Him. We have to jump in the wheelbarrow. We have, we have to lay on the stretcher. <laughs> we have to trust completely on Him. And, and that brings us to the last point, which is the ramification of His plan, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The South Africans call the Bible the book of beautiful words. And the reason is that last powerful phrase. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the Bible tells us in John 3.18 that we already stand condemned if we have not trusted Christ. It's not a matter of we will be condemned. We're already condemned. Because we're all sinners, we're all broken, we're all a mess, and we need the forgiveness of God. Only Christ can restore us to the position that we were meant to be in. 
That's the good news of Christ. But it is not enough just to think about it or believe it from a distance. We're called to place our confidence in Him now. It is a call. It is the only way to live with God forever. It's the only way to be with Him in heaven. It is to make a decision for Him. And it is the first step. But you can't finish a journey until you take the first step. And this is the first step. is to make sure that you are in the family of God. Because you're already in trouble. The Bible says you're already on the path to perish. It is the work of Jesus Christ that sets you free from that plight. So the first step is the step of salvation. And then, guys, it's step after step, getting up each morning, step after step. Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I surrender. Lord, forgive me. I'm so dumb. No, you're my child. I received you. Stop talking bad about yourself. It's day after day after day. It's following Him. It's step after step after step. But you have to take that first step. And so my challenge to you in this message to begin with, have you taken the first step? You see, God loves you. He sent His unique Son, His only begotten Son. And uh, you're the whoever. So have you? Have you trusted Him? Have you placed your confidence in Him? If you haven't, today's the day. Receive Him. Place your faith in Him. Maybe you have placed your faith in Him, but you've wandered away. God says, it's time to come back. This invitation's for you as well. <laughs> Chance to come to the altar and say, God, I'm coming home. I'm coming back. I've wandered away. This is not where I want to be, Lord. Maybe you need to share that with the people here. There's something about being able to share publicly something that's happened in your life privately that makes it more real, more concrete. So if God's calling you to that, I encourage you to do that. Maybe it's just that time uh, you've made a commitment to Christ, but you understand that it, um, it's time to be baptized, which is a public picture of a personal work in your life. Uh, when you go under the water, you stand there too long, you know, you're going to die. Uh, but that's old life. You come out of the water, it's new life. Jesus has made you a new person, and so you're showing people, man, it's the old way of life. That's not who I am. I am new in Jesus. That's what baptism's about. Do you need to be baptized? Uh, whatever the Holy Spirit may be saying, just follow Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this wonderful verse that means so much. May we simply respond to your voice, to your call. Lord, I, I just ask that you would move in this time that we call invitation a time to respond to you. In Christ's name we pray.